This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. With me today is Hans, who's all dressed up. He just came back from the county fair. How is it? Yeah, it's good. I got COVID and AIDS. Uh, I just noticed that there's a live transcript thing on Zoom. Would that just create as we speak? How does it deal with my accent? You're a country boy. Let's not fuck with it. No. Before we uh, start, we should... Do the plugs, which we never do. <laughs> I think that's probably uh, a good idea to start doing that right at the beginning because I, I don't even think we do it for half of the episodes. I don't know who's listening in the final seconds of the show, to be quite honest with you. So, yeah, go right. to patreon.com slash lowres if you're listening to this in the RSS feed on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, we are... Whoa, those captions are kind of distracting. See, if you're on Patreon right now, you might be able to see these captions unfolding in real time. I'm not so certain. Uh, but Only you can see it. Only I, I can see it? You, can, you have to yeah. enable it. All right, well, maybe maybe I have to. See, we're still figuring this out as we go along. We're now, how many video episodes have we done at this point? At least like 40 or 50, I, I, would, I would think. I don't want um, to enable it. This would be too distracting. I already have not a lot of attention span, so. You can deal with it. <laughs> sure. So tonight we're going to be talking about a little movie from the early 90s from a director, actor, close close friend of Nicolas Cage. We're going to be talking about Deep Cover. The great thing about life on the street is you know how it's going to be. It's always the same. It's always getting worse. Hasta la vista! On these streets, one color rules. Green. It's not 10 kilos we want, we want 20. Listen, you're taking a lot away for a guy we hardly know, John. Where are you moving this stuff? He's gonna get you busted. No, I won't. On these streets, nothing's what it seems to be. Is that a bust? Yeah. Well, who is he? Listen, John here got busted, but he kept his mouth shut. On these streets, he'd be the perfect criminal. If he wasn't the perfect cop. Do you ever take a look at your psychological profile? You score almost exactly like a criminal. I'm looking for somebody who will go under and stay under. What does he have to do? Buy drugs? Sell drugs? Set up the people that I don't want to bust. Because there's only one rule in this game, John. Don't blow your cover. Do what you want but don't try to sit down while I get down. Not, not there's a lot of money to be made out there, babe. The more we have, the more we can move. Business is improving. I'm almost nothing, I'm almost something. Oh, are you an ambitious boy? You're gonna kill us. You're not gonna kill anybody. You're too valuable to him. There's no such thing as an American anymore. No blacks, no whites, no nothing. It's just rich people and poor people. Larry Fishburne. Don't blow your cover. Deep cover. Recently added to the Criterion Collection. Hey, do you have any hopes? Do you even care about the Criterion Collection, Hans? No, never. I, uh, in my early 20s, I pretended I did because my roommate did. But I never actually bought anything. I was just like, oh, cool. I guess they have cool movies. This was, what, 10, 15 years ago-ish. So their collection, was that even a thing 10, 15 years ago? It was, right? Criterion Collection was founded in the 1980s. So they had laser discs that they had put out. And those were typically, they weren't so caught up in, oh, it's culturally significant contemporary films. It was more like, well, we can get thunderdome we can get the rights to thunderdome we can get the rights to gone with the wind nobody's putting that out on laserdisc and so they would just get all these popular titles because to print a uh, laserdisc at that time was a lot of money and that's a very niche market probably more so than whoever is the top consumer for blu-rays and and uh, 4k blu-rays right now so uh, they had that that whole area carved out to themselves. And they wound up picking up so many popular titles during that time that it was just like, it it was the same as, Oh, it's a Warner brothers, Paramount, whatever label. There was nothing of uh, importance to that. It wasn't until I would, I want to say the late nineties or early aughts 
where they started putting out DVDs. They never got into the VHS uh, mm-hmm. category. It was DVDs. They started putting out uh, some popular films like Armageddon and whatever they, I guess, had the rights to that were in the catalog from that 1980s period. Of course, many of the popular titles like the James Bond films or uh, you know, Train Spotting, Akira, all these big movies, uh, the rights to those had lapsed and gone back to the original owners or whatever popular distributors had put it out in America during that time. What's the resolution on Laserdiscs, you know? I would say it's a little, it's it's slightly worse than DVD. It's about 480p. If, you're, if your typical VHS is about 360 or 240p, then I would say a Laserdisc can go anywhere from 480 to 720. And 720 is kind of pushing it. I'd say more like 560. Uh, as someone that likes collecting this type of thing, why haven't you gotten into the laser disc collecting? I just checked uh, Chasing Amy uh, laser disc on eBay and it's 30 bucks. So it's not it's not that expensive, I guess. But I'm assuming the picture quality is not 30 bucks. What are you talking worth. about? 30 bucks for a laser disc? I'm not in yeah. that market. Get the hell out of here. I can't even. What am I going to spend the day setting up a fucking record player to my TV and try to figure out how? Oh, the movie reached the 45-minute mark. Time to flip over this giant vinyl giant. disc. Yeah, that sounds great. For what? To yeah. watch it in a quality that's slightly better than a videotape? Nah, I'm not doing that. Please. And where am I going to stack all that? I can't even bring my <laughs> records here. I've got one shelf for movies, and I hardly have any room at all for, for any. That's because you live in New York. What about when you move out of New York? Well, that'll be a different story. But until then, I, I had, listen, I had the opportunity to get into Laserdisc when I was living in Massachusetts, and I didn't because I, I know that's a, that's a sucker's game. You know, the, where, again, right. it's not even convenient. It's not convenient to put that Laserdisc player anywhere. It's not convenient to own any Laserdisc. The be, the, there's no benefit. Uh, the, I bet it's loud, the player. You think it breathes very heavily like a computer that's <laughs> yeah. on its way out? Like when an you, old PlayStation, yeah. Yeah, when you have like 50 gigabytes of room on your computer and you're at 42. Yeah, yeah. That's something like that. But uh, I, this is a film, deep cover, that I was not aware of at all until somewhat recently. And I think the reason for that is because during the DVD release time period, let's be clear, Deep Cover was not in the Laserdisc collection. It was not in the original Criterion collection. This was part of their whole manufactured, ah, oh, we, we have black filmmakers in the Criterion collection. A lot of what I was griping about last year when they panicked and were like, we're going to give 15% of all our Criterion channel money to Black Lives Matter. When they started doing the, the di- diversity initiative to get uh, more filmmakers of color in the collection. This was one of the titles they picked up. And uh, prior to that, you know, if you had seen the DVD of Deep Cover, it's an ugly DVD. I'm pretty sure it's a bunch of floating heads. Uh, Same thing with like King of New York. You ever check out the DVD cover to King of New York, where it's just like a a red fade of Christopher Walken's face and maybe Lawrence Fishburne? Sucks. Horrible. Doesn't make you excited for the film at all. So Deep Cover got... Yeah, both of it's, them are horrendous. There's it's one bad. of the one that you're mentioning, and then there's another one of just a, a, a drawn Christopher Walken with the New York as the background. Really bad. That's actually the poster from the '80s. I'm pretty sure that's the Italian poster, and they put that out on the Arrow uh, Blu-ray that just got released recently. Which is, a, I mean, I won't criticize well, Arrow. I think they're the best well. when it comes to special features. You can turn that cover inside out and uh, put the new poster art that they got done, which actually looks pretty slick. So I, I won't complain about that too much. But deep covers, and look, the Criterion cover to deep cover ain't great either. It's a purple illustration. It's not my cup of tea, certainly not. But the movie's pretty good. And it's certainly worth revisiting on this show tonight, talking about. Because it falls into a category of films that were released in the nineties that were like black 
Compton or Philadelphia or New York gangster films that were inspired by the success of Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood. There's a lot of these types of movies. But Deep Cover is so separate of that, and it's coming from a much different voice. And there's something so peculiar about this movie by comparison. A lot of the creative decisions found in this film, I don't think you would expect to find in this genre of movie making during this time, or maybe in general. And the first time I watched this, I knew I was in for something different. Based on the interaction between the Lawrence Fishburne character when he's a child and his father, who's about to hold up, I believe it's a liquor store. In the beginning, for and just how, for fi- yeah. yeah, and how his dad is speaking to him, and it's Christmas time, and it's not what you would expect going into this <laughs> movie or knowing what it's about. It's about an undercover cop um, who is looking to, well, he's given the task of he's going to take down in the long term this undercover drug organization, and even the drug kingpin in this movie is not the drug kingpin you would see in many of these types of films. All it, it's just top to bottom strange and a bit surreal. And, the, and then the the resolution is not really what you expect at all. Like the, the last, I'd say, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, how it all ends and how he ends up winning, I guess, while also taking down the corrupts for uh, the police. Uh, or I get was he? A, I think it was a polit- uh, either a politician or like a higher up. Uh, with the cops that uh, he chose in the video. And I, I really wasn't expecting that ending. I thought it was just going to, like, it felt like a weird twist that uh, was, I don't know, like, I didn't see it coming, I guess, just from that conversation that they had previous to that. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, right at the beginning, my first thought was, did Loris just made me watch another Christmas movie that's disguised as something else, but it's in the Christmas movie, like that uh, Nicolas Cage movie we watched? Oh, the, what was it? The Family uh, Man, Weather Man. They were yeah. both Christmassy. Yeah, both snowy. Uh, but yeah, it starts with with a dad calling his kid a little wuss for crying because he's going to go kill someone. Uh, which you don't really expect that type of interaction. Like it's very real. Uh, and then his death, uh, it, it's it's kind of surprising, but uh, I, I guess it just sets up the tone for for the rest of the movie. Uh, then the scene right after that is the, the N-word scene, where he's like, do you know the difference between an N-word and a black man? And uh, depending on their answer, they get hired as a detective or not or whatever. He's just doing Chris uh, Rock's bit. Who didn't do yeah. Chris Rock's bit at the height of his game? Everybody loves that joke. Yeah, I still do it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, that's, yeah, it's a setup for, you know, everything you see this character doing, you ends up being more clever than hey, the people that even hire him to do that job. Because uh, he ends up getting away with a bunch of money and taking down everyone pretty much well i think he gets lost in this character which Mm -hmm. is something we see time and time we saw it in manhunter one of your favorites william peterson will graham character doesn't know whether or not he wants to stay the course and be the good serial killer hunter or if he wants to indulge in the perverse violent acts that the tooth fairy does who knows um so uh, Larry Fishburne, did you notice he was uh, credited as, he was still being credited as Larry at this point? Casual Larry. Oh, I, I didn't notice that, no. Uh, he's Very great slick. in this movie. Yeah. 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 Um, Everyone's good in this. Uh, I love Goldblum as like the weird uh, cokehead just saying uh, shit that seemed improvised. Uh, you know, when, when he does that coke that we don't know if it's synthetic or not because of what the, what's his name, mustache guy, says later in that in the tense, uh, what is that, the game, the hand game that they play? What's that called? Oh, I well, I don't know if it has a name, but they're slapping each other's hands because right. he's fucking with Goldblum. He doesn't respect Goldblum at all. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's like five minutes of just very tense uh interaction then but uh, yeah Goldblum was great uh I had I don't know if I've seen it in a role like this where he just plays a like a a soft that hardens a drug dealer that's just sleazy and a cokehead uh well I guess he kind of always plays that (laughs) 
just not so explicit. Right. He's, this is this is definitely a rare instance of us getting uh, Jeff Goldblum as a bad guy. Yeah. Typically, he's more like the quirky, weird, goodish guy. I, what what else is there? The Fly, where he, he gradually becomes a bad guy, but even then, he's sympathetic. Like you understand yeah. his plight. So Death th- Wish, another sympathetic character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, also, did you notice uh, what? What is the uh, the actor's name? It's I, I, it's Roger something Smith. He's found in a, a ton of Spike Lee films. He's a mixed race actor. He plays the what is he like a crackhead attorney at the beginning of this film? Oh yeah 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 yeah. Wait. He's also uh, a fun character for the thirty minutes he's in this movie and just talks himself into being murdered through a bunch of mishaps. The way that character's fate is handled is uh, very different strays from the from the norm typically he would just be set an example of to scare Goldblum or Lawrence Fishburne is that and, Clarence uh, Williams no 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 Clarence Williams the the, uh, the third is the detective who basically warns right. the uh, Lawrence Fishburne character Russell he play, Stevens he plays um, a Jamaican guy in, on uh, how high no not how high uh the yeah. Dave Chappelle one yeah no no uh, uh that was uh half-baked Half baked, yeah. He plays right. the well, the drug dealer there. Yes, I don't remember who you're talking about. The he's a he's a guy in the beginning. He's working against uh, Russell, the the Lawrence Fishburne character, and he's the one who sells him the junk and gets him caught by the by the police. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Which is how we have the Clarence Williams, the third character. He plays Detective Taft in this movie, and uh, he brings him into the interrogation room, threatens him. And I feel like the Taft character is a Bill Duke surrogate. If I had to guess, I think Bill Duke's views about this whole culture mm. that was created in the 90s is probably most, most aligned with Taft, that detective. He would also be a good uh, pick for that character, too, just knowing his the type of performance that he usually gives. Where yes. It's like he's he's always righteous, but kind of shady ish. Well, he plays that. that face. He plays a, a very similar character, and his role is limited in Menace to Society, where one of the characters, one of the two lead characters, is brought in for questioning, and he's just fucking with them the entire time. I believe it's the main character of that film. I, I think it's the protagonist. I don't think it's the uh, what is the actor's name, uh, Lorenz Tate or Tate Lorenz who's the more sociopathic one of the two, the lone survivor of that film. He just keeps repeating, you know you just fucked up now. You know you just fucked up. He's just, he's just being state, a... Yeah. yeah, so he does, he does that kind of character in Menace to Society. This uh, Taft character in Deep Cover, I think, is much more sympathetic to the Russell character and what's going on, even if he views the... the um, what's happening here is like an act of evil. Um, and he does, I think eventually succumb to trying to be by the book right. in the end. That is his downfall. And Jeff Goldblum, I mean, it, 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 it's a clear example of somebody dying for their ideals versus allowing corruption to take you. They're kind of the, the two sides of this Lawrence Fishburne character, Jeff Goldblum and Clarence Williams, mm-hmm. the third. Can we talk about how awesome was the motherfucker guy? You Refresh know, the, my memory. The guy, the guy with a ponytail that right at the beginning. Oh, the first that scene guy. Lord, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Lord, he's got like a very showing off energy. Uh, but when Larry Fishford first uh, is on the streets, he just goes to the guy that sold him the drugs and he's like, fuck you, motherfucker, or something. He just shoots him in the back and then... Uh, like, I don't know, like 10 minutes later, he just finds Lawrence Fishburne and shoots a girl that's sitting next to him and then just laughs. And then pisses on him. <laughs> pisses on yeah, he's gonna yeah. be He's going to be executed in the bathroom. But Lawrence Fishburne ain't that type of guy. He's probably not going to do that. And yet he and prods then, the situation to that conclusion by pissing on Lawrence Fishburne. And then he calls he, him a bitch after he's on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> just breathing with pain. He's like, you bitch, and then dies. This guy, he's, great. Uh, he, he's like a black version of the saxophone player from Lost Boys. 
he's got that type of look to him. I feel like he's just constantly in a tank top. He's yeah. got big muscles. He's got a white woman getaway driver. In a giant medallion on his hanging off his chest. Right, right. Like a golden medallion, a big chain. Yeah, he he felt a little out of this world uh though because uh it, it was very cartoony uh but it, his death was very satisfying and i don't know the, the two or three times he's on screen he he steals the scene completely uh, so that was like a, a nice adage to to the very serious story uh, otherwise and also it's like the first time where we see Lawrence Fishburne like breaking the law i guess or going after what he's supposed to do because he's killing him because Jeff Goldblum told him pretty much, because uh, he killed the driver, the girl, right? So mm-hmm. the guy killed the girl, and then Jeff Goldblum is like, "Well, we have to take care of them. We'll go fifty-fifty on everything or whatever." Uh, but, but that's not like he's like a righteous cop, and this is the first time that we see him break for that same reason because he got pissed on it. <laughs> he couldn't take it. He got angry and just shot him. Uh, but it's it's the first time we see him break pretty much from from just being a, a still like a righteous cop that's in this world undercover. Uh, and here is when, when it kind of feels like, okay, so he, he can also break a little bit. He's not just like a Robocop type of thing. Right. And I think that's ultimately what the, um, the officer who hired him, what he was getting at and why he did hire him to begin with. I think it winds up serving and maybe it gets lost a little bit in trying to, bring about some real world truths about how, uh, what was it? The CIA funneled crack into the projects mm-hmm. and they're, they're up to all sorts of dastardly things. I think it maybe makes it a little more complicated than it needs to be. And the ending feels a little too fairy tale esque as, right. as far as my opinion goes on that. It feels a little too clean cut for what the Russell character is trying to accomplish. Um, but I don't know if it really takes away from it or, or sucks the wind out of the, uh, the movie i just feel like that last 10 minutes where he's um you know being uh, uh on trial to uh uh you know get into these things feels just a little detached from everything that we were just in the world of before then where it's like one man can make all the difference okay but at what he just lived a very luxurious life and got this one detective killed uh, just by circumstance, even though he wasn't trying to, he was trying to save the guy, but he allowed things to reach that point. It should have been more, I think it would have been more satisfying maybe if it was strictly focused on uh, either that character's moral downfall to completion or being mm-hmm. able to pull back and have a small victory. I think it would have been a more meaningful uh, ending with that. Instead of the super win he had. Yeah, yeah. With, uh... Oh, I just took eleven million dollars in nineteen ninety two. Just eleven. Uh right. How would you have ended it then? I probably you... would have ended it that way. Either he, he I I mean maybe that character just should have died. Maybe that character okay. should have uh just gone away. Maybe it should have been like a Dexter season six ending where he just lives in the woods and has a beard. I don't know. <laughs> I I get that they wanted maybe to have more of a uh you know, pack more of a punch with that conclusion, or maybe just drag out the the gold bloom, fish burn, um, back and forth well, that leads to some kind of violent end. Well, I think that's one of the issues. It's not a huge issue that I had. Uh, that whenever a kingpin was presented, uh, they never really felt that threatening. Like they don't they don't really show them doing enough for you to believe that they're as powerful as they were supposed to be. Uh, like the only time we see the god damn it why can't I remember his name um hold on are you talking about the, the Mexican the main guy um the main yes. antagonist they throw him uh, out of Mol- the limousine no, no, Malta. The... no not him uh his boss uh, why am I so bad with names Barbosa Felix Fel- the one that hurt his hands we're uh, talking about the same hands. guy Felix Barbosa okay. Yeah, him, uh, I mean, he kills the other guy, the, the, the guy that got him. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm terrible. I should write down the names of the characters. Uh, the guy that, get him, that gets him in, in, that's just like a shithead that he meets at the bar. Uh, he kills him with a, or we're supposed to believe that he killed him with a pool cue, right? And then after that, he has that uh, 
hitting your hand game with Jeff Copeland, but I, I don't think he ever feels like that big of a of a deal, I guess. And then when he gets killed and he has to go above him, that he ends up shooting that guy in this in the movie theater. Uh, again, we he's barely on screen. They only have one or maybe two conversations and we, we don't really see the magnitude of his power, I guess. So whenever, when he gets killed, it's like, oh, well, it's not as impactful as it could be, I guess. Uh, and uh, I guess um, at the end of, uh, of it, it ends up becoming uh, him, I guess, I guess himself to not let himself like loose himself into this world. And then he doesn't at the end, but, I don't know. I, I I feel like the the villains here or the the antagonists lacked a little bit of a punch uh, for to make the story a little more, you know, feel more of a threat than they did throughout. No, I agree with you. I definitely think that Bill Duke might have been going for something different here, where the antagonists of the film are a little more wormy than they are outright threatening, and especially when it comes to the um, the Roger Smith character, whose name I'm forgetting. Uh, but the 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 crackhead from the start, his death feels very uneventful as opposed to where it could have gone. Um, yeah, just dying via pool stick, kind of. But I, to what you're saying, I don't know if these things that feel a little surreal or or different uh, are not in line with the movie, because there is a weird tone that is set just from that opening scene that I think makes these things a bit more allowable than they would have been if it was more by the numbers. Hmm. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. That's, I really enjoyed it. I just like, that was the, maybe the one issue I had with it that I, I never really felt like he was in danger. Uh, especially when he had Goldblum in front of him, who's just been a buffoon for most of the movie. And then, Yeah. I don't know that 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 was the disconnection for me, but I, I love the way it was shot. I love those uh, dirty street, very uh, kind of almost documentary like uh, handheld, or I don't know if it was handheld, but it looked handheld. Whenever deals were happening, or uh, you know how much I love when they show like the dirty nights of you know that world that we're supposed to to be uh, in, and uh, he did a really good job here. Uh, when it comes to representing how dirty and how, you know, different that world was for Fishburne that he was used to, I guess, before he got into this thing. Yeah. Um, Are you familiar at all with Bill Duke's other films? You know, he directed Sister Act 2 back (laughs) in The Habit. Yeah. Yeah, I was looking him up as I was watching this. That stunned Um, me. I couldn't believe that when I read that. Why not? That's what this parlayed into is Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm I don't think I've seen any. I mean, I, I don't think I ever saw that one. Um, but then it's a lot, lot of TV from the '80s, just TV episodes. Then he had a movie called Flag, not familiar. Uh, Twilight Zone, Not Landing. He directed a Miami Vice episode, uh, and then A Rage in Harlem, Cemetery Club. And then Sister Act. It's yeah, his filmography unfortunately is not as I think significant as what this film maybe would lead you to believe. Uh, he's certainly a talented director. I'll give him that. Uh, I I think this movie's outstanding. And like mm-hmm. I said before, I think the creative choices in this are not the first, second, or third choices or or decisions one would make that would come to mind when handling this type of film. So I give him all the credit in the world as far as that goes. You, you well, both disturbed. So, what's what's, what's, yes. what's happening over there? What'd you just discover? Well, uh, he, uh, oh, is this a series? Like the latest thing, he's got 2017, a movie, a TV movie maybe, uh, starring uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, so that doesn't really give me a lot of hope over where, where his directing oh, career geez. is. <laughs> okay. Was it, what, was it the Night Stalker? No, it's called Created Equal. Uh, it says a cocky up-and-coming attorney begrudgingly takes on a case to sue the Archdiocese of New Orleans for sex discrimination after a woman who's desperate to become a priest solicits his help. 
Yeah. Sounds like somebody Starting needed money. <laughs> yeah, the star in Lou Diamond Phillips in 2017. Hmm. Yeah. That doesn't sound hopeful. That's that's unfortunate. I mean, look, I haven't seen it. I'm sure if we pulled the trailer up, there would be some good, some bad to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, do, I who's to say? Look, I'm not going to judge the man for working with Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips was a quality actor at one point. He was La Bamba in right? 2017. Though. Wasn't he in Stand and Deliver in the 2000s? <laughs> Maybe uh, let's not go out to 2017. Let's see. What's the the best Lou Diamond Phillips movie from the past 20 years? Uh, you got uh, Courage Under Fire from 96. Um, uh, uh, winner, Celebrity. I'm, I'm a Celebrity. Get Me Out of Here, Season 2. He beat both okay. the Baldwin brothers, Spencer and Heidi from the Hills. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't look. <laughs> listen, there's nothing wrong with Lou Diamond Phillips. No, he's no. a good actor, but it, I, yeah. I think it's fair to say he's one of these actors who is now trapped in doing these piece of shit films because there's not a market for sixty year old Filipino men. Yeah, especially when you uh, make him grow a beard. Have you ever seen Lou Diamond Phillips with a beard? No, it's... I haven't. It's uh, it's it's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, he's obviously talented. I, I again, I'm not familiar with any other of his movies, but I really enjoyed this one. And uh, the almost two hour runtime didn't really feel long or feel like it was dragging at any point. I really liked the way it was shot. I liked the music in it, uh, and just that little world that he created in that those couple of streets and wherever this was, I, I forgot already. Uh, really worked. Uh, especially for a movie uh, of this time where uh, a lot of the movies that came out around this time were just a copy of other movie. Uh, But like you said, this one, uh, there's a lot of choices that are made here that is not your typical, you know, 90s crime movie or, or, you know, black cop movie, I guess. Yeah, for certain. And I think he does a good job of, you know, and this this isn't to uh, disparage this genre of of movies from the 90s, because I actually think there's tons of good ones uh if you take a look at the the main two but also films like south central is a good one that is kind of slept on i I may would you consider dead presidents in that category hughes brothers have you never seen it nope it's a it's a pretty solid film from about 1996 i think it was uh, distributed by miramax and uh that that was their follow-up i believe to menace to society that falls in that same uh, genre, I would say. I mean, they're all fairly quality films. There's certainly some bad ones in there. But I think what this manages to do successfully is define the characters in the movie in a way that these types of uh, players in a story haven't been defined before in this genre. Because it's very easy to put them into certain molds where they will have the same character traits as characters from other films. Like again, you go with Boys in the Hood and then Menace to Society. The characters that can be found in both of those films aren't dissimilar from one another. Like your right. your protagonist of each movie isn't that different. It's not that different. One is a little more violent than the other, but that's all it really comes down to. I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr. is a little more friendly, I guess. He's not Q-B? that bad of a guy. Q-B? That's what I like to call him. We, we used to meet and hang out back in the early aughts, around the time he did Boat Trip Yeah, I Snow saw Dogs. Movie. We partied <laughs> yeah. together. That's what all his the close gay- friends call him, is QB. Is that the gay boat movie mm-hmm. with Owen Wilson? With rapist Great. Horatio Sands. Oh, was it Horatio? Child it groomer Wilson. Horatio Sands. Did you see this? Yeah. You see this news story? The fat. Imagine getting groomed did, by the fat guy from SNL. Did, <laughs> did anything happen? Because that was like three, four months ago that it came out. Here's what Is happened. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon, the heir, still. They'll keep, look. That doesn't matter when it comes to Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy <laughs> Fallon has a past. If Jeremy Renner got a fucking pass because he played Hawkeye, who's the most expendable Avenger, 
Jimmy Fallon can kill somebody live on the air and you will never see it in the New York Times or anywhere. Okay. He'll be around for ages. What did Jerry Renner do? He was sleeping with teenagers or something, doing coke on his on a nineteen year old's tits and manipulating so I don't know. He it's probably nothing. You know, <laughs> it's the Hollywood but actor. Yeah. Horatio Sands Holly- was taught he did basically the John Kay thing. Except I think it was a 15-year-old, not a 13-year-old, and said, oh, you're so funny. I wasn't expecting to develop feelings for you. Want to go out to this party in Rockefeller Center with me? Do coke with everyone on SNL? (laughs) That's what happened. He brought this 15, 16-year-old girl out to do that, and nobody thought anything of it. As a matter of fact, she was hanging out with some of the bigwigs at NBC not long after. She went in through Horatio and started hanging out with producers and cast members. She was showing up at these parties all the time. They were getting limousines for her to take her home. Right. So it's I guess very, what you're saying is that she's been paid off already and nothing's going to happen. No, she hasn't. Here's what no. happened. She said, Horatio, I need $5 million or else I have to sue you. And you think Horatio has $5 million? <laughs> <laughs> She'd have better luck hitting up Chris Kattan for that money. <laughs> five, um, can you believe the nerve of this woman? Look, I'm 33 years old now. I need $5 million or I'm going to say you groom me. Well, now there's a lawsuit. And I believe NBC is going to or has already uh, settled with her. Probably $100,000. Yeah. It's like the... Uh, well, no, that's probably not going to get anything. The the kid from the Nirvana cover that sued them for showing his penis when he was a baby or whatever. Yeah, it's just all these people are running out of money. They're just on hard times right now. They're looking for a paycheck. That's it. It's like I think he asked for twenty million or something ridiculous like that, and it's like you're just looking for like a hundred thousand to shut up. Uh, according to the internet, Horatio Sands is uh, net worth is two million. Uh, Which is terrible because, no, that's bad. That's horrible if you're an SNL performer and you starred in movies with Cuba Gooding Jr. not long ago, less than 20 years ago. Let's be clear about what net worth is for the record. It's just the the amount of stuff you own, basically. You see all this? Look at – sorry, wrong angle. These books over here, net worth of about $300 USD. How about that? That's the net worth. All right. Let me ask you something. Uh, House – $200. Two hundred dollars. Uh, let me ask you something. Get it? Third world country. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, do, you, do you th- do you think they're going to replace him on the Clifford, the Big Red Dog movie, where he plays a character? What happened there? to that movie? Did they replace the movie itself with what? With where did that movie go? I I, I don't know. It says twenty twenty one. Did it even ever come out? I don't believe so. I think oh, that it's movie November November tenth. All these movies have very strange – look, I think that's going to be like the jackass thing where it's like, hey, the movie's coming out this year. We just announced it a month ago. When does that ever happen? That never happens. They, they'll announce a movie. They'll drop a trailer to a movie a year ahead of time. We did that with Mass State Lottery. That movie ain't coming out for a second. There's a trailer out. Jackass 4, they said, hey, that's going to be out in October. They said that back in June. We didn't see shit. Well- there's an NBC News article that says Clifford, the big red dog movie, has a Latino flavor, say stars Paul Rodriguez and Horatio Sands. <laughs> Do you think they're just going to replace him with like Fluffy or another fat uh, Latino? Well, I guess he's not fat anymore, but. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to go. T- Look, it, maybe if it's a big character, but even that I doubt. This seems to have been swept under the rug because it happened to land on the wrong network. If this was Mad TV, if this was like Artie Lang, he'd be fucked. He would be done. Maybe. I don't know. Artie Lang's not really big enough to actually take down and keep no. down. That was a bad example. Although Brian yeah. Callen was on Mad TV, that took that took the energy out of him for a while. The new Mad TV? No, he was on the original Mad TV. He was on season one. Oh. Don't, not, not a memorable cast member, I guess. I think he jumped uh, off pretty early. I don't know. Those sketch shows, uh, the life around those sketch shows, just by stories that I've heard from Bobby Lee and and uh, Artie, that just sounds like a lot of fun. 
you know, just very free, but just making, getting paid a shitload of money to think of like the most offensive type of sketch you could do. And they would do it at least Matt TV. I don't know SNL, but uh, they were just getting paid a shitload of money uh, because of TV at that time, you know, there weren't as many big shows, I guess, especially comedy. Uh, and uh, some of the sketches still hold up. <laughs> I don't know if you've uh, revisited old Matt TV anytime recently but well that's not really fair because you can throw on you could throw on probably date movie right now and i guarantee it's going to be funnier than whatever fucking comedy is getting a 90 percent on rotten tomatoes from the past three or four four or five years ted lasso (laughs) ted lasso what a waste my god theory it really look look i put on i didn't put it on uh i was in the presence of somebody who was watching ted lasso and I just couldn't find the humor in it. <laughs> That's I, such a weird way to put it. I was in the presence of someone that was watching it. Just piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> here's, a, here's an example of a joke on Ted Lasso. There's a journal journalist talking to Ted. We're recording this pretty late at night. And that's why I keep fumbling over my words here. Uh, there, uh, there's a journalist on Ted Lasso who goes up to him at a bar. And it's like, Ted, so I hear you're ill. And Ted Lasso goes, nope, I'm not ill. And no, the journalist no, goes, no, oh. No, I, I, I don't want to hear the end. Because he's in England, right? That's the joke. That right, he's right, in, right. He's right. Like a, yeah, oh, but he's no. a Southern guy. No. He's a Southern soccer no. coach. He doesn't even teach regular f- football over there. It's Right. You know, he's teaching American folk. Anyway, so then the journalist leaves. And then it's just Ted Lasso disguising pain to himself and his, whatever he's doing. And it's just like, that's the example. of, And then everyone else is just carrying on. And maybe there's like a dumb person. That's always funny. Oh, I don't know a thing. Humor. Great. No. Seven so you so have a lot of like soccer jokes. Of, oh, when in football in America, we use a different shape ball or whatever the fuck. I'm sure there's know. plenty of that. This was season two <laughs> of Ted Lasso. So they probably got past that. You can't throw that card uh, out there anymore. Yeah. Ugh. I love classic yeah, it's a, comedy. It's the new, like I said, the new Big Bang Theory where we're supposed to pretend that it's funny and good, but you watch five minutes of it and you're just like, I don't want to understand. It's just very safe, very sanitized comedy for the whole family, I guess. So that, you know, grandpa that likes football is going to share the little clip on his Facebook page and all of his friends are going to be like, oh, football or soccer. No, he ain't uh. watching that. Here's the thing. Here's the first mistake you made is that there's a family watching that. There's no family. The family's gone. We're talking. This is specifically marketed for the, and this is what everything is specifically marketed uh, for nowadays. The 37 to 39-year-old well-to-do adult that lives on their own and maybe has a like a girlfriend or boyfriend, like the older adult who still likes young people stuff a little too much, but doesn't want any attacked. like serious storyline. <laughs> Not you. We, listen for for all for all the superlatives that you could uh, be assigned, Hans. What what I'll say here is that you don't have such poor standard taste as the right. the median viewer of a Ted Lasso TV program. So that that's really what, what we're seeing here is like the type of person who's almost in their forties and plays Pokemon. That and joke really fucking, uh, it really, it's, tore no, me. it's nothing but that. It's, it's nothing but that they don't, just, it's people who think they know what humor is trying to write jokes and they don't understand like how a joke works. It's just, it's a funny face briefly. And then you cut away, and then a guy doesn't know a thing, and that's funny. And then it's a woman saying shit to a guy, and that's the that's the pinnacle of, of comedy these days. I started rewatching The Office because they put it on HBO Max, and I guess it's the first season. It's just a copy of the British one, right? Because right, everyone yeah. is such a dick that I was like, I don't remember this being so mean. <laughs> like it was funny because it was so mean, but I remember that you know the first entire what six episodes is, is a copy of the British one. More or less. I think they stray it a little bit, but that first episode is like verbatim the same script. And uh, I think there's a couple of episodes that are like that. It isn't until season two where they decide to part ways with not just what 
the Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant office did, but the whole tone of that. And they do a little, it's a wacky sitcom now. Yeah. And then that just defines NBC and, and really TV comedy for the next 10 years. Like Modern Family steals that. Uh, I'm sure there were CBS shows that also stole that. Although CBS. Yeah, Park, Park, Parks and Recreation was enough. Parks and Rec, 30 Rock are offshoots essentially of of what The Office did. ABC latches to that and tries to, you know, do their own spin on that. It really was only CBS holding on to, we're going to do a 22-minute multi-cam sitcom, and there's going to be a laugh track, Two and a Half Men, season 19, and also Big Bang Theory, which you mentioned several times. But they were still doing that to a point. Now they've given up on it. Didn't they try with John Mulaney to do a show too? Oh, they love was... doing this. They that was the same thing as Keenan. <laughs> Keenan's show is still on. Keenan's show got Ke- nominated for Emmys. How about that? Keenan has the show. What's it's his called? Show Keenan. Keenan. Oh. Yes, and they did the same exact thing they did with the Mulaney show. It's John Mulaney's show. It's called Mulaney. But here's Martin Short, and Martin Short's going to steal the show. And uh, why was the Jewish the Jewish actor that uh, lived uh, on the apartment in front of John Mulaney's apartment? Was just played a gay Jewish man. I don't know. They've, I didn't actually watch the show. <laughs> I just saw the advertisements where it's called Mulaney, but here's Martin Short. Can we attract the forty to sixty year old viewer? We need. No, you can't. So Keenan does the same thing, but here's Don Johnson. Don Johnson is Keenan's father. It's always a weird pairing. It doesn't make sense at all. It's like the the people who like Don Johnson are probably not watching Keenan to begin with. I don't know if that adding that flavor to it is going to do much. Elliot Gould, that's what I was talking about. Are you Wait, fucking Don- kidding me? Elliot Gould was on Mulaney? Yeah, he was his wacky neighbor who was gay and old. And that's Jewish. so deeply unfortunate. He's in his 80s. He doesn't need to do that. Wait, Don Johnson, like... Miami Vice Don Johnson. Miami Vice Don Johnson is Keenan's father-in-law who lives with him and helps take care of the house. He's the housekeeper. Uh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm. I'm just looking at images. He's wearing a wacky sweater. That's cool. What? Who? Who? Ask for a Keenan Thompson show, the most boring actor in SNL from like the worst period of SNL. That's the guy for like, does Middle America like Keenan Thompson? Is I don't that... know. I he he's the guy they keep trying to push when it comes to the Emmys. Also, I know he's gotten several Emmy Award nominations as like an outstanding perform- performer for SNL. Um, but he doesn't have any memorable characters. He's just the guy who's been on the show the longest at this point because he doesn't know what his next career move is going to be. I remember Mark Marin interviewed him back in about 2014 saying, oh, I was under the impression Keenan was leaving this year, which is why he even <laughs> took the interview to begin with. And then Keenan was like, nah, I'm just I'm still on SNL. He had nothing interesting to say. Maybe he's got a lot he's, of secrets he's hiding. Maybe it's a Corey in the house situation where he's got some chat, like Horatio. <laughs> he's got some chat logs. He doesn't want to get leaked. I don't know. Is he the whole... still SNL? Yeah. Well, he left, right? No. He's still wow. In. That's depressing. It's 2003. Holy shit. That's yeah. kind of, I mean, money must be good, right? If you're sticking around for that long, but yeah, very soul sucking. It's funny to see uh, what's the the guy that does the boss baby character that even though it's a really stupid sketch, he always makes me laugh. Uh, Alex he's Baldwin. so good at no, no, he just quit SNL. Oh, they just oh, fired Beck him Bennett? from SNL. Yeah, uh, he's funny. Like I think he's funny. He's funny in sketches. He's he's a good character actor, I guess. And uh, but then they're replacing them with uh, NPC uh, comedians that. I mean, I'm sure in the in the alternative comedy scene, if that's still a thing, are maybe known. Uh, and then you hire this girl, Sarah, I think Sarah something. Uh, I, can't, I can't think of it. But her whole stick is that she's very wacky and very like out there with a very adult swim humor. And I can't imagine 
that working on SNL at all. They're just going to grab her and like, well, this is a face that people recognize on that scene, I guess, but she's not going to be doing any of that wacky shit on SNL. So at the end of the day, it's like, what? what's the point? It's like getting uh, Eric Andre on SNL, you know? It's like, well, you're not going to let him do the thing that he's supposed to be good at and you're just getting them because it's, uh, I guess, a name that's known online. I mean, that's that's really one of the biggest things is even if they got talented performers, like let's imagine Shane Gillis did get cast on SNL. That would be terrible for his comedy because then he then he is in the hands of the writing staff. And what 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 is their MO when it comes to writing these jokes? Um, well, white not, guys are tarted. Right. So and it's going to be or a bunch Southern of or, yeah. political propaganda. So, OK, that's a waste. Um, a lot of people have cited Whoa. Kyle Mooney is, is somebody who has fallen victim to that of being misused and essentially being tied up by SNL so that they can't do anything interesting with their time. Yeah, that's another very talented uh, performer that they have there is completely misused. Who's even writing now? Uh, well, it's like 40 Jones. nobodies. Yeah, fuck him. Who's, he sucks. <laughs> they, they're all terrible. I don't look. I a lot of these comedians, they're just uh, like even the funny ones. I have a hard time respecting because they're so cowardly. Like, what's what's his partner on uh, Michael Up Che? There? Michael Che. That's a guy who acts like he has balls and has no balls. So, have you seen his? He has. He also put out a sketch show. Uh, never saw it, but it's supposed to be you know his take on comedy or whatever but i I never really heard anything uh it was called uh oh wait i guess he did it what no he did no what you're saying uh rings a bell i think there was an hbo deal with him maybe i'm getting that wrong is that damn michael che is that it Something yeah. like that. I don't know. Doesn't yep. sound interesting yeah. to me. I, I've seen very like short clips, I believe, or maybe just a commercial. Didn't really uh, wet my palate. And I take it not, yeah. not with you either, if you had to verify that it existed. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm completely unaware of any of the sketches even. I think uh, once it was mentioned in one of the podcasts that I listened to, but it, it, the reviews were like oh this is an unmissable show that you have to watch kind of like the what's the i think you should leave or whatever that show is called the netflix one that everyone always pumps up uh yeah no you you get the title right i think what it was the uh the comedian's name nathan tim robinson? robinson no tim, you're thinking nathan fielder that's tim, tim robinson i'm pretty sure yeah tim robinson right it's i think you should leave yeah that that one i I I don't know. I watched the first couple of episodes in the first season. And I was like, oh, I don't care. You didn't like it? <laughs> it was like, uh, no, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll give it a second chance. But at the time when it came out, because everything I've seen online is just like, you know, raving about how funny it is. And I watched the first two episodes. And I was like, oh, I guess this is not for me. I was into it. I thought it was very funny, to be honest with you. I haven't checked out season two. I've heard mixed things about it um not really racing to jump in on that i know that uh originally i guess what the plan was with that first season was that they were going to get a bunch of celebrities to perform the skits and he wound up doing most of them himself and i think it wound up working out that way with season two it seems like they like went back to that original idea they had in place Uh, let's get as many stars as possible and i think that's always a terrible terrible thing to do when it comes to comedy like the the person's fame is completely irrelevant to whether or not uh what they're saying is going to be well delivered so well it, it ends up becoming uh oh i know that guy but what about the joke you know the the funny shouldn't come because it shouldn't come from i recognize this guy in another thing and ah you know it should be the the writing and whenever they bring celebrities like that it's like on SNL. Usually, the guest host is not the funniest person because it's just you're just famous person. You know. Are you saying you didn't you didn't think uh, Elon Musk as Wario was a laugh riot? You didn't find that uh, cute and yeah. humorous? Well, the only funny thing he did uh, was kill Dogecoin after that episode, right? Oh, uh, gee, well, he killed tank? all fucking crypto. Yeah, well, 
How's that doing right now? I haven't checked in a couple of days because I want to cry. <laughs> Everything just took a dip and it's kind of in the middle right now. It's not in the middle of where it once was. It's in the middle mm. of, well, things came back up kind of, and now it's somewhere in between. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's fine. It, that's how it's supposed to go. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah, do we have anything else to say about deep cover before we wrap up? Because we have to go to sleep in an appropriate hour. We do have an early show. Early for us, anyway. Oh, with, fuck. Uh, yeah, that's true. I have a lot to catch up with. Yes, you do. Uh, we have some viewing to do. Uh, no, I think we covered it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, no, I'm good. All right, deep cover. It's, it is a, it's a great it. film. Check it out. I don't think it's on HBO Max anymore. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, check out the physical media copy if that's available and that's in your budget. It's I on think Prime. It's, it's on five Prime. Bucks. I think five, four or five bucks. Yeah. That's outrageous. Yep. I can't imagine paying five dollars for a movie from twenty five years ago. Yeah, it's got that Amazon. Maybe you know what? Go into an Airbnb and see if the person <laughs> left their account logged in and purchase it from it <laughs> just go into somebody's home and watch it doesn't yeah. matter just step inside you see an open door you see a family's home why don't you go inside and see what's on the tv all right purchase. that's been that's been movies for this one buy yes buy it on their account <laughs> see, hey you work at a restaurant you take somebody's credit card just write the credit card numbers down go steal don't steal yeah. but use the credit card to watch deep cover it's no big deal. They're not going to notice five bucks missing. Nobody's yeah. going to think about five bucks from Amazon.com. Who would be stupid enough to use Amazon.com with, with, a, with a credit card that doesn't belong to them? They're not going to think yeah. about it. Yeah. Go, go, go do that. <laughs> you could go to a Best Buy and see if they have it in stock and just take it. You can just walk out with it. It might have one of those big, you ever see one of those big plastic ovals they like to stick on there? And it's got like, a, what is it called? Like a plastic string around it. And it's like a it's bungee cord oh, almost. Yeah. It's fucking annoying. Yeah, for for very, uh, very important, very expensive DVDs. I remember the book for of very the expensive dad. DVDs. And if you go to a poor neighborhood, you'll see it on hair dye and toothpaste <laughs> and condoms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the Evil Dead 2 that came with like the Necronomicon that looked really shitty, but I always wanted. That shit was always like 180 bucks and I could never steal it because of that. And now it's like 500 bucks. So, yeah, go steal it. <laughs> go steal it from Best Buy, from your corner Best Buy. If that still exists. Circuit City. Best Buy still? I don't know. Best Buy still exists? It's around. I'm sure it's around. All right, that's been movies for this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you.